Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. How are you all today? My reply is still thinking. Okay, so we should start off with our tradition. So you look new. Look new. Yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself, tell us your name, and how you got to know about this group? Yeah. My name is Iwa. 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 Okay. Um. Get to know online. Oh, I see. How come? How come? Online, as in Google search or Facebook or what? Oh, just Facebook. Oh, just Facebook. Okay. Posted by your friend or? Oh, all posted by you. All posted. <laughs> <laughs> so you randomly just found me in Barrio Chagres. Yeah, the famous one. Huh? The famous <laughs> one is. <laughs> Really? How come I didn't know? <laughs> oh, <I'm sad. laughs> no pressure, no pressure. Uh, welcome, welcome. How did you get this identity famous mark? Uh, a lot more under famous mark. This one not famous. Uh, only if you're my famous. <laughs> Well, welcome, nonetheless. Welcome. Uh, who else is new? I think you look new. Tell us your name and how you got to know this group. As similar, he was, she also got to know because I'm a famous one. Uh, I'm Liz. Uh, I, I got to know you because someone told me about your podcast. Ah, I see. And then? Yeah, I've been listening to you regularly oh. to the Facebook. Ah, I see. And finally, you decided I must come today. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, 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 please. Okay, let's see. Who else is here? Any other other people found me online? <laughs> okay. All right. The one in blue. The one in blue. Okay. Oh, Zhang uh, Tell us. Uh, I, I just called out her name. <laughs> Have you introduced yourself before? Or SGC? First time, right? Is it? No. You join online before, it doesn't count. Okay. Introduce yourself again. So how do you start on with the SGC? I think was it in NUS or NUS Society? Ah, okay. Yeah. Good to see you in uh, uh, I was gonna say online. <laughs> Good to see you, yeah. Yeah, welcome, welcome. So we've been uh, having SGC for let me see, since 2014, I think. Yeah. Uh, we. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
is the producer. Now it's our camera woman. <laughs> now we are going pro. <laughs> Multi camera angle. There's one stationary, one directly, and then one roaming camera. <laughs> yeah. So we've been having this program for, I think, it should be around 2014. Huh? Yeah, that So uh, this today's setup is basically part of this. We have short puja, uh, comprising Pali chanting, and then Chinese chanting, and then also short meditation. Uh, and like what they like to say, not so short, Dharma sharing. <laughs> today's topic, today's topic is quite long, you know. Uh, do you know today's topic? It's so long, I have to refer to the post. <clears throat> Today's topic A, where's the the numbers? Yes. Oh no, not this one. Uh, today's topic happening now. Non-attachment, indifference, equanimity, and compassion. Yeah. And because today is the last uh, no, today is not the last, but today is the last session I'm doing from this month. Uh, uh, next week we are having a special speaker, Verbal Chuan Xian. Right? Yeah. So uh, this week will be ask me anything. Yeah, on this topic. So the topic is non-attachment, indifference, equanimity, and compassion. Yeah. So I will just speak a bit on this topic, and then you can ask questions. Okay. Yeah. As you all know, uh, my the, the the classes I conduct tend to be riddled with questions. Uh, I, I think questions are important, yeah? especially the asking part. Uh, well, the answering part is important also. <laughs> yeah. uh, but asking questions is important in the learning of Dharma. Yeah? Uh, because then can be clarified. Before we learn Dharma, there may be certain questions or doubts we have about the teachings. Yeah? So today's topic, <clears throat> Non-attachment, indifference, economy, and compassion. Yeah. Uh, I think, actually, this is a, a theme that we have visited and revisited many, many times. Yeah. Uh, and it has to do with how uh, many a times we, um, as we learn more Dharma, it feels as though, uh, at some point, we are supposed to become indifferent, you know, non-attachment. Uh, and in fact, Many years back, when I was first conducting the Heart Sutra class, there was a student uh, who came up to me to share uh, her own uh, experience. That was, I think, one of the first run of the Heart Sutra workshop, way back in 2006. Uh, it was at the Pras Pasa, the, what is that? I think it was at Pras Pasa, the awareness place. Uh, back then, it was not 10 lessons, it was 4 lessons, 5 hours each. <laughs> yeah, literally like 5, five hours. And, not, and as you know, I don't stick to the 5 hours, I extend some of So it was like 8.30 to like 1, 2 o'clock. Oh, actually that's not one, not, that's not 5, but that's like 6 hours. <laughs> oh, about there, like 5 or 5. 
in any case, um, uh, one day, no, second, second lesson, second or third lesson, uh, this student came up to me and asked me, um, after trying out the exercise of contemplation, she finds herself um, somewhat distant from her friends, her peers, and even her family. And then she was a bit concerned, like, is this, is, is this the right direction? You know, or is she doing it right at the first place? Why is it that you start to feel that way? So, uh, some of us may have experienced this also, or maybe have heard of others in this way. Or perhaps we may have observed some friends who, after learning Dharma, uh, then seem to be a bit distant, yeah, to say the least. But yet, on the other hand, we, we, we learn about those uh, wonderful, beautiful qualities like love, compassion, that the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas exudes. So why is that this disconnect? Yeah. Are we supposed to be this way or that way? Yeah. But wouldn't loving more, caring more, having compassion um, also lead us to attachment? Yeah. Wouldn't that mean that um, we actually feel more for the ups and downs? And as a result, um, isn't that exactly what we are suffering over? So sometimes perhaps we may have this question. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, I've heard someone uh, ask the question about how uh, do the fact that Bodhisattvas care so much about sentient beings, uh, do they then suffer? Because it logically makes sense, right? If you care about all the sentient beings and given that there are so many sentient beings, and then sentient beings are always getting themselves into trouble, then wouldn't wouldn't the, the, the Bodhisattvas stay be full of like, ayah, again, ayah, you know? Yeah. And then that's, that's just one part of it, right? Because even when we are not trying to harm ourselves or others, then there's all the disasters. Like, for example, COVID 19 now, you know? Uh, well, but as, as my teacher always say, uh, whenever my, uh, my teacher is asked, Questions about that is very macroscopic, yeah. uh, that, that is like some big major event. <clears throat> uh, he would say, uh, Who is he to say anything? <laughs> My teacher always say that. Uh, so I suspect if he's still alive today, and someone asked him, Ah, uh, I think my teacher was probably still say the same thing. But so, how? <coughs> uh, do you all feel, do you all experience this, what I've described earlier? Yeah. Uh, so how do we strike a balance? Uh, or is there really a need for a balance? I can only say that, for one, uh, the Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, uh, and even our Arhats, yeah, they do care for uh, others. Yeah, they do care for others. We see, um, and, and notice that I say, 
and even the Arahants. And because there's a misconception that Arahants are not compassionate and they don't care, yeah? and they only care about their own liberation. Uh, my teacher, while he is um, ordained in the Chinese Mahana tradition and trained in as traditional way as it gets, he often highlights to us uh, to, to remember that Arahants are enlightened ones. So um, we see in the Pali Canon evidences of the Arahant's caring. Take for example, Variable Sariputra. Yeah. Uh, before his, uh, his final passing, he reflected on how his own mother has not attained even Sotapanna, has not even had faith in the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha. So he chose to go back to his hometown to visit his mother and spend the last night at his mother's place. Imagine a, a venerable Sariputra, the chief disciple, yeah, chief in uh, wisdom among all the Buddha's disciples. Uh, instead of doing what most people think Arahants would do, uh, Arahants, mm. uh, mother don't attain heaven, well, so be it. <laughs> huh? That's your problem, huh? you, you foolish woman. <laughs> but, the members Sariputra don't do that. Huh? He thought, ah. And he, but he also don't go back and just drown her with Dharma, you know. After all, he, uh, he's, he's seen uh, in, the, in the Pali Canon as being very, uh, having mastery over the teachings and being able to elucidate, explain, and teach. In fact, in some suttas, the Buddha even said that. Um, in the absence of the Buddha, Venerable Sariputra can teach in his absence. It is to that extent that the Buddha would um, speak in praise of him. And yet, in all those years since the, uh, since Venerable Sariputra attained enlightenment, uh, we don't see um, any concerted effort uh, to, to, to say, ah, Dhamma, come and attend Dhamma class. <laughs> yeah, you don't see that. So, but on the very last, towards the end, we see, ah, now the time is right. So he went to his mother's place, stayed overnight. But still, when you look at the text describing that last night, it's very interesting. He didn't give, it, give her Dhamma teaching. Yeah, just by staying there for the night itself was sufficient. Because that night, uh, various various heavenly beings came to pay their last respects to the great venerable Sariputra. Yeah. And so the mother, because it was his house man, so so it was said lah. It was said, I, I was I, I wasn't there. And if I were there, I can't remember anymore. But it was said that um, the, the the mother saw um, the. the Various devas in the form of light. Yeah. And it was she was most amazed, like, wow, what is going on? You know. So until towards the end of the, the night, um, nearing daybreak, then the mother came and asked, like, wow, how wonderful, like who, who were they those about? So or who who was that whoever that came, you know. Then Venerable Sariputra told her that, oh, that is the, the great Brahma. Yeah. And then she was like, huh? <laughs> the Brahma that he, she worshipped 
can she come and pay respect to my son? <laughs> yeah. And then it was said that at that moment, uh, his venerable son, Richard, know that ah, faith has been instilled in the mother. Then he told her, okay, uh, please leave the room. And then he entered Parinibhana. <clears throat> So, and this is just one instance. There are many other suttas that describe how the Buddha, in the morning, uh, he would observe the world, he would scan the world and see who is ready for the teaching, who is ready to be awakened, yeah. or who is about to do something foolish. <coughs> yeah, uh, the two extremes. My teacher once told us this, and I think parallels what we observe in the Pali Canon. My teacher says, uh, we, we, uh, we are very devoted to the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas. But how come not everybody see the Buddhas or the Bodhisattvas? Do you all want to see the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas? How many of you? Raise your hand. Uh, very simple, no? <laughs> the statue is behind. I've come to do this library more often. There you can see. <laughs> and you all say, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Because you all discriminate that that's just a statue. La. Yeah. Uh, but in the Buddha's time, people do want to really see the Buddha. La. And then even now, uh, can you all see the Buddha in person? Too bad, I cannot. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you can see the drips. Yeah? Uh, maybe you can see the drips. Uh, but don't, don't, don't spend time dreaming. Huh? My teacher said there are two categories of individuals who get to see the Buddha and the Bodhisattvas. The first category are those who, uh, maybe it's two or three. Maybe three, maybe three. The first category are those who have attained enlightenment. Yeah. So they when they when you attain enlightenment, then uh, they come and congratulate you. Yeah, it's like it's like when you are studying in the university, you don't see all the professors, right? Convocation time, oh, so many professors all wear all the gown and everything. Huh? Yeah. I'm not saying that when you attain enlightenment, there's a convocation, okay? <laughs> when you attain enlightenment, hey, <laughs> But according to the text, it, describe, it does describe that they will come and rejoice in your attainment. But my teacher also highlighted that prior to that, if let's say, let's say you are on the verge of a breakthrough already, yeah, but somehow maybe you have some obstacle. Then, the Buddha, Buddhas, Bodhisattvas observe, ah, this person is capable of breakthrough. Then they will come and guide you. So this is one reason why you will get to see the Buddhas or Bodhisattvas. So far, have you all seen the Buddha, Bodhisattvas? No. So you are not the first category. Then the next category is those who are about to do very extreme stupid things. Yeah. Upon which they will go down, dip, dip, down, down somewhere. <laughs> then the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas see, oh yeah, this person <laughs> about to do stupid things. Quick, go and guide this person. 
like from the Sutta we see, Tarimba Angulimala. Yeah, so quickly go and interject. So they all see the Buddha, Bodhisattvas? No. So you also don't belong to this category. Or maybe, maybe, maybe Buddha, Bodhisattvas see that you are about to do, but uh, no cure, no cure. So. <laughs> That that case is why cannot cannot have yeah. My teacher says that the Buddha's Buddhisattvas don't anymore how just appear. Yeah. But of course, if you go and search the my teacher's talks recording, you don't hear him say anymore how okay because he speak in Mandarin. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> you can see clearly that the Buddha's Buddhisattvas and even the Arahants yeah, they have compassion and the Buddha did teach compassion. But what is the difference between their compassion and our compassion? The difference is they are compassionate, uh, truly compassionate, because they do it without attachment. They do it, do it without identifying with the being as a tangible being. Or, and because without that identification, further, without the, this is my who. Yeah? Uh, this is the person I save, I help. <laughs> without this kind of thought. Without the kind of thought, oh, this is my dear friend. This is my dear mother, my dear father. This is my something. No. Yeah. Uh, this is my teacher, this is my student, this is my sifu, this is my whoever. They don't, they don't help in this way. They also don't help in what way that I am the one who is helping. Uh, long time ago, I heard of and learned the, the teaching on San Luan Ti Kong, uh, emptiness in terms of the doer, the recipient, and the act. Yeah. The act can be can refer to the act itself or the uh, object yeah, that is uh, being transferred. So when I first learned it, it was very, uh, what do I call it, very synthetic. Yeah, very clinical, very synthetic. So purely just okay, contemplate, you know, fire gates, empty in nature, blah blah blah, break down. Yeah. But over time, as I reflect on it and I try to um, so-called apply it, then I realize that, especially in terms of the doer, the doer attachment is not simply saying, oh, you are attached to me being in existence. But even more importantly, attached to that it must be I doing it. We unenlightened beings, we have this tendency. When we are attached to the other recipient, that is also not simply saying, oh, that uh, that sentient being exists. But it is that it must be that sentient being. Then we do. And it must be me doing, then the person can benefit. We have this kind of funny ideas. You know? yeah. Must be done by me. Shifu, do you want water? Must be offered by me. <laughs> okay, I drink, I drink. I drink. Yeah, we have this tendency. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, normally when we act in this way, no problem, normally. 
problem comes when other people also want to help. Then how are we able to say, well, if you, as long as the person get help, it's okay. Yeah, have you ever seen, have you ever gone to the doctor and then two doctors fight? Hey, my patient, no, I'm supposed to operate. <laughs> yeah. Or, or have you ever seen a news saying, uh, this is, uh, what, what is the news nowadays? Uh, China News Asia. It's China News Asia, uh, Tanjong Pata, there's a fire. Uh, it's raging on for hours. And the, the fire brigade has arrived, but they are not able to put up the fire. Uh, we'd like to ask some eyewitnesses. So what's going on here? Oh, they arrived three hours ago, but they are from two different fire stations. So they have been fighting over who should be putting on the fire. <laughs> they were claiming ownership of the fire. So they say that this is this fire. <laughs> this is the type of fire that we put up. Only we put up. You cannot put up. So they are fighting over it. Uh, I think you don't need to be enlightened to realize how ridiculous it is. Huh? And to me, this is very important. That the to be able to act with at least lesser attachment or not so aggravated attachment is not something that is only relegated to the Buddha, Bodhisattvas, and Allah. That even in real life, we can see people acting selflessly. We don't need to imagine that, oh, it must be the Buddha appearing in the world, the Bodhisattvas floating around in the sky, then, oh, only these beings are able to act selflessly able to, to care without attachment. Yeah. No, I think many ordinary folks just like you and me can do it. The Dharma, as the Buddha said, is, is not something that is only applicable for some special being, you know. Yeah. We can do it. The trouble is we tend not to do it. <laughs> That's why when we see people, people do it, we're like, oh, so admirable. But the person being able to do it, it's not that the person got one extra horn here, you know. <laughs> it's that the person at that moment stopped thinking about themselves. Then they are able to do remarkable things. Too many instances. Yeah. If you recall, um, one of the SQ flight in Thai, I think Taiwan, right? Yeah, and the uh, stewardess. Yeah, I, I mean, when I saw the news, uh, I was, yeah, it's, it's very touching, you know. And I sometimes wonder to myself, as much as we learn and practice, I'm like, will I be able to do that? I hope I will be able to, yeah. Uh, but you never know. And don't think you cannot. You never know as well. If you think you, you can, think again. You never know. Maybe you cannot. Don't be so proud. You're thinking, that, oh, I learned so much drama. Oh, <laughs> but also don't think later of yourself, thinking that, oh, this is something beyond me. I'm incapable of that. You never know. When it happens, it happens. Yeah. You read the, from the reports, how she went in and out to to make sure that people you know get up safely really living up to the service standard of <laughs> we can always say that well that that's their job ah. 
Yeah, but that's her life, you know. How many people would still stand by that station to do their job? In, in lesser circumstances, people don't do their job already. <laughs> that's why now there's an internet meme, right? You have one job, <laughs> right? Right. Online, there's a lot of funny memes about people who somehow, like, that their job comprises that one thing and they do it wrongly. <laughs> so it's not true, no. Just because it's people job, people's job, that they will do it properly. It's not true. But there are individuals such as the aspirators who, uh, I would say, go above and beyond the job. As much as if, if you look at the training instructions in, in case of emergency, yes, that's their duty. Yeah. But how many people will stick to their duty? Yeah. But that can only happen if on a day-to-day -day basis uh, we, we work on ourselves. If on a day-to-day -day basis we um, succumb to our own ego, we, 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 we just um, consider how we feel, how, what we think, what I like, first and foremost, than anything else, then hard to be able to accomplish that. I don't say it's impossible, but hard, very hard. <clears throat> yeah, very hard. So, uh, of course, fortunately, uh, we, we don't have to be called upon to do that on a daily basis. But each of us has our own fire to fight to, right? Uh, each of us has our, our moment of truth uh, to reckon with, to consider. Do I um, go down path A or path B? Like, like RPGs are. Uh, Every decision you make will determine whether you are uh, an evil cleric or a righteous elf or <laughs> something. <laughs> Some of the online participants went, hey, did I watch the wrong channel? <laughs> no, really, this is still Dhamma, this is still Dhamma. Yeah. Uh, so I want to um, open to the floor now to let you all ask questions. Pertaining to this topic. Any questions? Take up the quest. 
solar mantra. What is your question? Consider the possibility of one's family uh, living apart from us is never an easy thing to consider. Yeah, so just consider the physical separation first. Okay, let's put aside the the reasons, yeah, the cause itself. Uh, so because it applies to other cases, isn't it? If let's say now instead of choosing to choosing to practice uh, as a nun or by yourself. Uh, if you choose to say, hey, I want to go to some remote countries to serve as a doctor in future, and as a result, you'll be away for years and end, and I think your, your families would also have concerns, right? So uh, this tells me that uh, 
the concern is not so much about the religion, yeah, uh, not just about the religion, but the fact that you have to be physically separated, yeah. And I will go further to say that even if it's not going away for work, if let's say you, you find yourself a boy boy who is not from Singapore, or you found a boy boy who is from Singapore, but the two of you, boy boy to girl, decide that, oh, you want to run off somewhere in some remote countries and, and stay there, then your mama will also be like, what happened to my girl? <laughs> right? Yeah, so this is a un very natural, understandable concern. Yeah, that goes above and beyond the choice of um, practicing as a nun uh, or by yourself. But on top of that, um, if you if your choice were to go out to work uh, versus getting married and then as a result having to to migrate, and uh, that will still be quite a in a way common decision. You know, and because it's a common decision, we tend to feel more comfortable with it. Yeah, it is like how because in Singapore we are so used to uh, Dali and Kogit, so you know every time you see Dali Kogit, you feel like yeah, it's okay to put this this foreign taste into your mouth and start brushing, <laughs> right? But if you grew up in another country where these two brand is not common. Or maybe even the whole concept of brushing your teeth with toothpaste is not common. Then when someone says, hey, we're going to try this, like, oh, what am I supposed to do with this? Right? Now, of course, just thinking about it seems to make sense, but if it, it will, the impact will be even greater if you literally grew up in a place or in, in a society where nobody brushes their teeth. Not because they're not hygienic, but because maybe they somehow found a, a more efficient way. You know, wake up, just stare at a mirror, it, it, it shines ultraviolet way or something, UV light, so it just, you know, like everything is done. You just turn around, then everything done already, right? Then for such a civilization or a society to, to tell them to put some paste in their mouth and brush, brush around, possibly damaging your gums, it'd be quite a crazy idea. Uh, throughout history, those who take the untrodden path or less trodden path is often looked upon with disdain. Yeah? Um, and only celebrated when they come back successful. Before geniuses are heralded as geniuses, they are often seen as heretics or idiots. <laughs> you know? Scientists know this best. Yeah, because to make a discovery, you must always try something that nobody thought of yet. That, and because nobody thought of it, nobody can make sense of it. And in all likelihood, people are like, oh, what? You know? Yeah. So, so the question is whether we ourselves see the, the purpose, the end goal. Do we see the value in that pursuit at the end? Because if we ourselves cannot see it, then nobody else is likely to be convinced otherwise. Yeah. But then we go further. <clears throat> we go further and say, okay, but what if somebody is just annoyed or upset with the choice, regardless of how amazing the choice is? Right? 
And it applies to whether it is to practice as a nun or monk for that matter, practice by yourself, or pursuit of some career choices or marital choices. Or for that matter, maybe you just want to go and climb Mount Kinabalu for the thousand and five hundred times. Maybe your, your pursuit in life is that you want to climb not Mount Everest. Uh, you are not interested in Mount Everest. Like, who cares about Mount Everest? I want to climb Kota Kinabalu. Yeah? Or maybe your, your choice is Mount Faber. <laughs> yeah? I mean, we, we love, right? Because like, like, well, it's just a day, like half a day hike up. Yeah, but your aim is not simply climb up half a day. Your aim is to climb it one million times. Yeah, because you calculated Mount Everest is that high, you climb a million times is equal to Mount Everest. <laughs> so you decided to do it a quantitative way instead of qualitative way. Huh? Yeah, who knows, right? But whatever your pursuit, there may be someone who is upset, someone who is not happy with it, someone who is hurt because of that. So then, so this is another side of the argument, which is should we then change or stop what we are doing simply because someone don't like it? Simply because someone don't like it. For no other reason besides that, the person feels, no, I don't like what you are doing. If you ask me, uh, I will tell you what the 20 plus year old me discovered one day. One day I told my mom and my younger sister, I, I just come to this realization that no matter what you do, there will be someone who is not happy. So I told them, I said, I decided that I will stop trying to please everybody. <laughs> and this is the exact thing I told them, I said, because even if I'm a stone, someone will come along and kick me to the side and feel that I'm getting in that way. <laughs> of course, there's a fine line between realizing that you don't have to please everybody versus realizing that you can go and upset everybody. <laughs> Don't do the latter, okay? Don't do the latter. And I would say, pursuing the path of um, nunhood to practice as a nun, or to even practice um, in solitude. The aim is never to upset anybody. If anybody gets upset, I would say it is incidental. But I'll tell you, I have encountered many students uh, who tell me that they have to attend classes in secrecy. Yeah. What those of you who are watching online, you probably know who you are. Yeah. And that's why you're watching online because you cannot come. <laughs> and you're probably watching in the future because you probably cannot watch on Sunday because your mother, your husband, your wife, or whoever would get upset if you let them know. So you're probably watching it in a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's I I I will tell you this. Uh, these are not students who are like young kids, you know. Yeah. Uh, they are in the some of them are in their forties, some are in their fifties or even sixties. Yeah. Uh, on one hand, I would say it's a very beautiful thing. Beautiful in what sense? Not the part about their family members opposing them, but beautiful in that 
they care so much about their family members that they and they value how how, how they feel, what they think, that they are willing to change themselves. I say it's beautiful because <laughs> this is one part that is never quite out of me. <laughs> and then when I was younger, I don't think it's beautiful. I think it's stupid. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'll be very frank. When I was younger, I feel like, oh, stupid. <laughs> but uh, maybe it's age, you know. Now I feel that it's very beautiful because to care for someone that you put your choice apart. I think to be able to do that is beautiful. Whether you should do that or not, uh, that's another thing. Uh. The fact that they did do it, it means that that's the part that they are able to do. So I'm only saying that the ability to do it is beautiful. Because it's not always the case that you should do it. Like for example, if you like to do charity, yeah. So now I, you see, I'm, I'm shifting different part of the variables, and this this has always been my approach. A whole a scenario, you you tweak different variables and see whether the premise still holds. Still see whether the the, the angle changes. So just now I changed. I, I I disconnect the the act itself. Then now I say, hey, what if we shift it further to say? something that is blatantly correct do charity and not at the expense of your own uh, well-being okay and if your family members say oh you're so stupid go do charity then are you going to then simply stop because someone say that's stupid or someone got upset yeah what if you are crossing the road with your family members and then there's this amma who, who treat and fall and then you go out and help and then your family members say, hey, stupid then are you going to say Oh, yeah, my, my mother says it's stupid, so I don't help. And then there's a there's a truck coming. <laughs> yeah. Pardon me, but I always go ex extreme. Because if the principle holds, it should still hold, no matter how extreme. Right? Imagine now if you're if you're along the street, right? Yeah, and your mother or father or whoever always say don't be busybody. Right? And then you see this kid trip and fall yeah and then there's a truck coming i'm gonna say ah, truck coming then but if i get involved later my father could scold me out <laughs> are you going to do that it's as, it's as simple as that and i hope i hope whether <laughs> those who are live here or those who are online would agree with me that you should just just help the, the, the amount of the kid. Regardless of whether your father or mother get upset. Because deep down inside, you know that it's the right thing to do. And if it's the right thing to do, and your, your parents or whoever, your family or friends or whoever oppose it, then you know that they are wrong. It must be that way. And the only reason why we feel conflicted is because they mean something to us. But it also means that we are making a wrong decision because of emotions. We are letting our attachment to them color the way we look at right and wrong. And if you were to ask me, to be very truthful, we are just concerned about whether they continue to like us. It's that simple. 
So you have to ask yourself, which is more important, for your family and friends to continue to like us, to be in their favour, or is it more important to do what you think is right? Then I think it will be quite clear. And coming back full circle to the topic at hand, I think perhaps especially so, it's important for us to be able to care and love others without that attachment. Because with that attachment, we have to realize oftentimes actually we are not attached to them. We are attached to how they make us feel. If you are really honest with it. Yeah. Thank you for the question. So go forth. Hold on. <laughs> the, the hand never come down. Yeah, because not Buddha, not the disciple. <laughs> Yes, Casey, right? Uh, Casey, Casey has a question. Yes, hello. Um, when you talk about giving and doing things for others, mm. does there come a time when you know you get taken advantage of? Mm. Does there come a that's a very interesting question. <coughs> yeah. uh, so, let me see. Which one should we uh, tackle first? The non-self part or the joint-mind part? Uh, let me tackle the non-self part first. Okay? So, as we all know, there's a teaching, Anicca Dukkha Anatta, Sunyata, right? So, Anatta, no self, or not self. And there's this ongoing debate online <laughs> about uh, whether it's not self or no self. Uh, I think during the conference, I mentioned about how it's just like Superman, you know? If you say that there's Superman and we say, Try to find Superman and we say, oh, are you Superman? But do you have all the qualities of Superman? No. How about you? No, no, no. So all of you are not Superman. And because we cannot find anybody who fit in with Superman, so we say there's no Superman. So actually both are correct. No self or not self. So then if, if we all agree with this teaching that there's no self or nothing that fits in with self, then does it mean that we don't draw a line? Uh, not true actually. It just means that we don't draw the line because of self. But instead, um, when we truly appreciate no self, then we know when to draw the line that is most effective and most beneficial. Yeah. Because we stop worrying about the self. That actually is not how we think. More importantly, again, it's about the fact that we are attached to our own interests above and beyond everything. No self doesn't mean that we don't um, consider the pros and cons of things. Yeah. It just means that 
we can truly see the benefit for all parties involved. So, um, so just now I said there are two parts, right? Uh, that seems to solve uh, a part already. So I want to bring in the other part, which is, but most of us haven't reached non-self yet, right? So how? So that's a self, huh? uh, So I I have been in recent years telling people this. Uh, do what you can while you aspire towards what you cannot, but what is right. So what is what is it that is right, but what you cannot? So it is the state of the enlightened ones. You currently cannot huh? because you are not enlightened, but it's right. So you should aspire towards it. But what must you be doing? You must do what you can currently. Yeah. The Buddha was able to sacrifice his life. Eh? That as the others was able to do it. Eh? How many of you can do it? Hey, Masifu, shouldn't you encourage us to do it? No, I don't have to encourage you. Because if you truly can do it, you'll do it and save people. But if you cannot do it, huh, then it then gets stuck there in the corridor. You know? <laughs> Want to say, don't want to say, then you panic. <laughs> Because maybe at this point, you, you only have the capacity to save someone nearby and then run for your life. Then you try to do what you cannot. Then you go there, then Kalangapo, and then everybody gets trapped. More people die because of you. So, better do what you can. But even more importantly, uh, I, I, I realized over the years that there are a lot of kind Buddhists who go around guilt tripping people, you know. Give you an example, uh, donation of organs. You know, yeah, after you die, donate organs. Then you know some kind of Buddhists go around. But shouldn't we as Buddhists be, be you know selfless and not attached? And then you know, after all we die, then you go and cremate, then all this use useless, right? Why don't you give up? Don't be so selfish, huh? Or guilt tripping people. <laughs> so when I hear this, my counter is. So while you are alive, do you donate? Do you sell away your HDB and give away all your money? You also don't want. Then why are you asking people to, to give away their whole body? Right or not? The Buddha, while he uh, teaches us to develop wholesome qualities, including uh, an exceeding uh, generosity, kindness, giving, and so on. But he don't say that if you don't give, then you, you are a criminal, <laughs> right? He don't say that. But he even gives you a whole spectrum whereby um, even down to the lowest. And he say even that is meritorious. Yeah? To the point where even if you wash your, 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 your arms bowl or the dishes in your case, and you pour away the water, but before you pour it, you have this thought. Maybe whatever creature um, is able to consume this, the benefit, uh, benefit from this water. Even just doing that is meritorious. But now this cannot, uh, because we use detergent. We <laughs> <laughs> uh, use detergent, pour away, everybody dies. <laughs> yeah. So I always like to highlight this. Do within your means. 
yeah, in all the different practices, do within your means. But just like going to the gym, what do I mean by do within your means? It means that, like for example, um, <clears throat> well, I, although I always use gym as an example, I, I can count the number of times I've been to a gym, like with my two hands. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> my whole life, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, that's, that's kind of came to a, a, a standstill once I audit. So that's basically my whole 20, 20 over years, you know. But I always use the gym as an example. <laughs> so don't be mistaken, okay? Thinking, oh, seafood last time must be pumping iron. My family know I, they never hear me say go to the gym before. But imagine when you go to the gym, uh, let's say you're able to carry, you see, I, I don't even know what is a, a reasonable number. <laughs> I was going to say 10 kg, like, maybe 10 kg is too low. Is it too high or too low? Do you go to the gym? Oh, I see. What is like, you know, something that when you carry, people don't look at you like, oh, why are wasting time? Yeah. Uh, at least impress people a bit. How much? It's one or you see, you see, pro, this uh, one have experience. So let's say reps like, like this, bicep, right? triceps. Right? <laughs> I, I know the pattern, I just don't do it. <laughs> maybe around 5 to 10 kg. Oh, so just 5 to 10 kg. Uh, so it's going for the cut. So you do more reps, yeah? Low, lower weight, higher cut, right? right? Uh, because last time I read, Pumping iron. <laughs> 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 but I never got to going to the gym. So imagine when you start off, you do five ten kg. Then, but if you just keep doing that, you will. What will happen? At some point, you will. You your the growth will stop because if you max up, you know. Uh, so then you need to once in a while do more than what you can, right? Uh, and of course, if you have a, you have, if you have a, what you call it? Uh, instructor or the trainer, if you have a trainer, the coach, then the coach will, will know when to push you a bit more and then go down, push a bit more, go down. And then there's a lot of parallel here. Even for spiritual practice, uh, we don't say, Oh, because I'm not enlightened, so all I can do is this, so I'm selfish, so so be it. I'm selfish or I'm not enlightened one. <laughs> yeah. But we also don't say, oh, oh, I want to be enlightened, so I just go and wow, sacrifice myself. Why do I, why does why is it important not to do the latter as well? Because if you do the latter, the question is how long can you do? What I'm most afraid of is when you can do it for a long time. You know why? Because when you do it, even though you are not able to do it, you are <clears throat> we will have all kinds of funny expectations, either of yourself or others. You're expecting that you will have some miraculous breakthrough because of doing all these sacrifices. Or you are expecting people to reciprocate your sacrifices. And when it doesn't happen, ah, by the time you 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 sit down and think about it, resentment has set in. Resentment has set it. So, um, do it consciously if you want to go beyond what you can do. 
Consciously meaning you know that you are going beyond your ability, but it, that means with the right expectations that doing this doesn't give you uh, some miraculous cure, you know, that you will suddenly boom, have a boost in your progress. And at the same time, you must know that while you do it, you cannot expect people to then do something else. No, they are not invited also. The front part is easy. The front part about saying, oh, we shouldn't just give ourselves excuses. I'm not invited, but so I'm invited. Shouldn't be. Do within your means, and once in a while, push yourself a bit further. As far as the, the case of giving or rendering help is concerned, uh, in many talks, students have asked, uh, is it, and especially in the context of filial piety, uh, to give to one's parents. Some students ask, uh, is it always wise to give them money? And I, I tell them, sadly, not always. <laughs> yeah, not always. Especially if our parents are not able to make um, uh, what it, uh, prudent financial decisions. Yeah. And it's not always about them gambling it away. Sometimes it is, yeah, but other times it is that they are gullible. It's not about being pure of heart and then giving it away. It's that and they talk there and Henry send them a text and say, Oh, your son is kidnapped by us. Send us $10,000. How, how, how? I must send, I must send. <laughs> yeah? But don't laugh. Huh? At our age, most of us are maybe about between 30 to 40, 50 years old. We are still sound of mind and we are, because most of the, the things are under our control, yeah, within a certain range. So we feel internally stable. But as we grow older, our health starts to weaken, and then many things start to go a bit off control. Then our uh, a sense of uncertainty increases on a daily basis. It's just it's not like something that just chronically happened, but it's just the sense of unease that keeps on creeping in, you know, and it affects our cognitive ability. Yeah, not that old people are stupid, <laughs> uh, but when when everything is already not within their control, and then suddenly they receive a message that more, a bigger thing, then we cannot make the right decision. Yeah. So in such cases, it is also not wise to, to just give them. Yeah, not wise. But it requires us to practice tough love. Yeah. Because when your family and friends come to you crying, yeah, can you say no to them? Not, not so easy. And unfortunately, at some, such circumstances, then uh, again, emotional blackmail. Yeah. Uh, if you don't give me, it's because you don't love me. Yeah. Children say this, parents say this, everybody will say this. Any Anytime anybody says it, they say, you don't do X because you don't love me. You tell them, so be it. <laughs> if you don't understand my love, then too bad. <laughs> yeah. Or better still, tell them, well, if you love me, you wouldn't be putting me in a spot. 
a few days later, I get a lot of hate mail. <laughs> what have you done to my, to my wife, my husband, my children? Thank you, thank you for the question. I think this, this is something that uh, we'll definitely revisit time and again. Yeah. Uh, but that's the Dharma, isn't it? Dharma is about our, our life. Apart from our day-to-day -day life, there's really no Dharma to talk about. Yeah. And it's really um, when we truly explore how we use the Dharma in our daily life, that we bring it uh, bring it up from the uh, from people's wrong perception yeah, to make it alive. Uh, there will be those who have misconception, uh, but don't be afraid of misconceptions. The fact that they have there are people who have misconceptions is also because they took notice of Buddhism. You cannot have misconceptions about something that you don't even bother about, right? Yeah. So I I I tend to not be uh, too upset when people have misconceptions. I always find that that's an opening, that's an avenue, that's an opportunity for me to say, "Come, let's sit down, let's have tea. Tell me about what you think about Buddhism." Yeah, because. Uh, Many, many years ago, when I was in US, in one of these uh, one-month solitude retreats, uh, I encountered this American. I decided one day to take a walk up the mountain. <coughs> and as I was, I just started my walk. I haven't even do my walk. I just started my walk. Mm. Or somewhere at the start, I, yeah. And uh, I encountered this this American, and he, he he had his sunglasses, and he was walking past. We were walking past each other, and suddenly I heard a shout. Hey, are you a Buddhist monk? And I was like, oh, I guess, uh, me? Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, last <laughs> I checked. <laughs> and then, oh, he started like, uh, well, he, he he didn't spill vulgarities, but he was. Visibly agitated, aggressive. He had his sunglasses and he was arms crossed. Yeah, and he was like, uh, Do you know that the Buddha is an analyst? And I was like, uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and it's like, Yeah, he's an analyst. I was like, Oh, where do you hear that from? So he said, There's this book. It says that the Buddha is an analyst. I was like, oh, what was the title of the book? Then he, he mentioned some title, and I was like, uh, well, not too sure about that book, but uh, last I checked, no, the Buddha is not an analyst. And he said, no, the book says that he's an analyst. So I said, well, okay, well, but, uh, but who, who wrote that book? You know, I asked him, uh, is that person um, a Buddhist? An expert in Buddhism, like you know, and then it got hinted to think. And what happened was, we end up standing exactly where we were for two hours. <laughs> 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 yeah, I literally stood there, and he stood there, 
Um, oh wait, sorry, I got the front cut a bit off. Um, I did go out for a short walk and I actually lay, lay down on one of the you know, US mountain summits. And then I was going to come down. He was going up. He's the one who was going up. I remember someone was going up. He was the one who was going up. And then we ended up spending the next two hours. I was going to go down <laughs> and continue my day. Then I got stuck there for two hours. Uh, but it was a good stuck. Yeah, because at the end of the two hours, his sunglasses was down, his hands was open, and he decided not to have his walk. He decided to walk me down. And as he was walking down, he, he told me, he said, uh, you remind me of the Benedictine monks, which is from the Christian order. Yeah. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> I take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wasn't trying to make him a Buddhist, but I would say that that two hours of, was well spent, at least as someone who got to know Buddhism a bit better, perhaps. Yeah. So I never shy away from confrontations or people with misconception, and, and, we, and none of you should, yeah, even if uh, you are not a monk or not for that matter. You don't need to be a monk or not. And you don't need, you may say, oh, Pasifu, you know so much about, no, no, it's not about that. You don't need to know everything about Buddhism to, to, to address it. Yeah. You just don't need to act like you know everything. The first thing I would say is at least to listen to what they have to say. Yeah. Don't take it personally. If you take it personally, that's it. I'll help with those. So <clears throat> keep the conversation going. Yeah. Keep the questions coming. Uh, and I'll see you all again next week. Uh, no, not next week. Next, next week. All right. Uh, go ahead. Ask questions. Answer questions. Yen